Hooray Run Podcast, Episode 8. My dad, Randy Rogers, he has a running streak. The last day he didn't run at least one mile was August 12, 1985. Today, August 13, 2017, his streak turns 32 years old. You may know him as Randy, coach, dad, counselor, brother, He joins me in conversation here on Hooray Run Podcast, and there's a lot to cover. How he approaches treacherous weather, how he's gotten through sickness, injury, and also the benefits of the streak, his most memorable runs, how it connects with his faith, much more. We'll also hear from my mom, Linda Rogers, for her side of some of the worry-inducing dehydration stories. Also, what she's learned through the 30-plus years of her husband's running. Here's a clip from one of the conversations with my mom. I, I obviously don't ever think he did anything to to try and make me worry, but there were defi- there was a time when we, when we were in Detroit. We were I don't know where we were on our way to, but we were at a friend's, friend's house, and he went out and ran, and he never came back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. If he got lost, and there was a time in Florida when he went out from his mom and dad's and he ran, and he couldn't find his way back, and we, I mean, how many hours have I sat just wondering, where is he, where is he? And he always shows up, but never, not usually in my time, to make me, <laughs> to make me happy. Let's get it rolling. But first, it's been too long, my friend Mikey a.k.a. Meeks Palmer on SoundCloud. Mikey, you got to drop that beat for us. I'm here with my dad, Randy Rogers who has an incredible running streak. He's my biggest running inspiration. He's been running every day of my life, and then some. His streak turns 32 years old tomorrow, August 13th, 2017. We're recording this day before that anniversary, August 12th, 2017, in Illinois. Dad, thanks for joining the podcast. Let the listeners know what you ran this morning. August 12th, what was in the log? All right, this morning I ran four miles. It was 37.41 was my time, so about 9.25 per mile. I've really slowed down through the years, but I ran at 7.42 in the morning. Uh, It's day 11,688, so it's exactly 32 years now. And uh, so last day I missed was August 12th. And that was in 1985. So today, nice run in Chicago area. So 85, you were 24? 24 years old, yeah. When you started it? Yeah. And tell us what you need to do every day during the streak. It's a mile a day. You run it all outside. Yes. It's a minimum of one mile. And it doesn't have to be outside, but it... Everyone has been outside except for two of them. Two days, because of situations with flights, I had to run in airports. 
course, with security, they wouldn't let me outside. So um, I was prepared for that in case my flights were canceled or delayed, that I had clothes with me that I'd run. So all but two of the days have been outside. Yeah. And you write every morning in your log. He fills up a log front to back every year. So on Christmas morning, each year, you can count on my dad unwrapping a brand new running log for the coming new year. Before this streak started, I actually had like a, about a 100-day streak. And then it ended when I got sick one day on the way home from a trip, um, which I probably would have run through right now, but I was throwing up. and That hasn't stopped me lately, but it stopped me at that time. And so I've run through a lot of different stuff. What triggered you to start the streak? Because you played baseball and basketball in college. You never ran cross-country or track in college, so running just became a routine thing around age 23, 24. What caused that streak? What set a fire inside you to say, I'm going to do this every day? Well, I remember I tried to go to open gyms and basketball. I wanted to go seven days a week because I just wanted to keep working out hard. But there were only open gyms I could find three or four days a week around St. Louis in 1985. Um, I was coaching track, some middle school track, and I was thinking, man, I am not as good a shape as some of these kids are, and i got to be a better example, and can't play basketball every day. I played softball a lot, too, but that just wasn't, I don't think, as grueling a workout like basketball is. So i got to do something where I don't depend on somebody else. That's what I remember thinking. And I was thinking, I'm never going to get this out of shape again, as I was about 100 days before that decision. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm just going to I'm gonna run every single day until I have a pouring sweat. That was what I was thinking. It wasn't a minimum of a mile, but it was pouring sweat. And then I realized I couldn't do that without a minimum of a mile. So <laughs> that's when it became minimum a mile. Did you ever think you'd be able to get through so much sickness, time crunches, three kids, a full-time job throughout all of this. Was there ever any doubt or did you know early, like you had a hundred day streak about and then it ended and then you started up again. Did you know, did you have any idea it was going to last this long or were you just in such a routine every morning, get up before work and get it done out of the way? Well, I, it, when I became a morning runner, that's when it became more consistent. I knew I'd be I'd be able to do it for a long time, but I didn't think I was going to do it as long as... Well, I read an article in the running, Runner's World about Ron Hill from Great Britain, mm -hmm. who was a great runner, run the, won the Boston Marathon, I believe, a couple times. He had a 20-year streak in 1985, so I thought, man, I could probably do that. If he could do that every day, then I should be able to run every day. And I remember yeah. thinking that after I read that article. And I, was remem I remember th thinking I never wanted to get out of shape again. Yep. Yeah. We get into some marathon talk, including his two-hour, 57-minute debut. How many marathons have you run? 13 marathons. Yeah. At what point in the streak did you even consider training for a marathon? Did that take years within well, the streak, or did you have that idea of, I'm going to try to tackle 26.2? In my twenties, I, I was running with a guy named Fred Runkle, who I was teaching with in the city of St. Louis, and he had run a couple marathons. And he said, "Why don't you 
join me in a marathon. I, th- I think it was 1986. 87 may have been. It was 86 or 87. And I ran my first marathon without training more than 13 miles. But he was a lot faster than me. Just keeping up with him really made the workouts tough. But we would meet up probably four times a week in the morning, and I'd run on my own the other three. And I ended up getting a 257 in my first marathon and never hit the wall. And, yeah, I was only, I I think I was 25 in my first marathon or 26. So that inspired me was, what what inspired me was Fred Runkle. Yeah. Yeah. Randy refrains from boasting about his streak. He does not refrain, however, from connecting with God while running, using it as uninterrupted prayer time and connecting with his outdoor surroundings. And you keep the streak kind of under wraps in conversation. You don't like to say, hey, I've got this 30-plus year streak of running a mile every day. It's only when people ask you about it that you are more prone to open up about it. And when you do, I mean, a lot of the questions are, for me too, as your son, I get asked, how in the world does he do it? Is he crazy? How does he run through sickness? Like we talked about some of these stories, and we're going to talk about some of them here of fighting through injury or sickness. Um, do you, you get that question often of why do you do it? Or someone will just jokingly ask you, did you run this morning, Randy? And do you ever get tired of those questions or do you, what's the reason for kind of keeping it within yourself? And I know I've learned humility from you and I, I believe that's part of it too, of just not wanting to boast about this accomplishment. I think when you start bragging about it, um, I mean, I, I thought about putting it on streak websites and everything, yeah. but I think once once you get proud of it and you're bragging about it, I think a lot of times something could happen. And mm-hmm. um, I just think God has a way of humbling you if you become if you become proud of your own accomplishments. Yeah. And uh, I have to give credit to God because I mean, there's a lot of people that probably would like to have a running streak, but then they have. You know, diseases or something like that. There's no way you could do it with, you know, when you're battling cancer. I've been fortunate, and I haven't had had much of that. I've had a few injuries and pretty serious situations that I've run through, but nothing like other people are battling. That's why I don't want to broadcast it so much and uh, you know tell everybody I'm, I've got this great running streak because it's not my own doing. It's God's doing mm-hmm. that He keeps me healthy. But sometimes I'll mention it without somebody asking about it, like especially when I'm recruiting for basketball now. And uh, people will ask me what I expect out of my players, and I'll tell them I expect the best effort from them because I always give the best effort my day, and still um, you know, with my workouts. So mm-hmm. then I'll tell a parent or something that I haven't missed a day. And I expect your kid to be able to give his best every single day. Yeah. So Sure. Yeah. yeah. You bring faith into it, and I know you use the running time a lot for prayer and to be, you get deep in thought, but you also turn to God during these runs. Talk about how running, you mentioned it a little bit just earlier about how it ties into your faith, but is it a designated time of prayer or is it just happen naturally on a run? Do you go into each run thinking this is a great time to connect with God? It is a great time to get away from everything. Mm -hmm. I know that. Yeah, prayer just happens naturally. I mean, throughout the day for me. But on a run, it's uninterrupted prayer, usually. And I'll run through trails around here. I love the runs through woods. You see deer and other things. And 
I don't use headphones or anything like that. Right. I want to hear what's coming up on me, whether it's another runner or biker or traffic. So it's just a great time to get away from everything. And part of that time is prayer and thanking God for everything and help and asking for his help for every day too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does he do immediately post-run? Also, how many afternoon runs has he done during the streak? So you get back from a run. You have your, in our family it's known, your desk and your your rusty chair that you, you screech out in the basement and you sit there and just talk about what you do immediately after returning from a run. What's the routine? Well, when I return from a run, I usually go and I don't go through the main part of the house because <laughs> I don't want to sweat everything up. So I go through a basement door and into where the washer and dryer is, get a towel and Gatorade, and sit down and write in my log right away. So my mm-hmm. log has a lot of sweat in it, and it's it's literally, yeah, it's got it's wet and it's uh, yeah. So it, it looks like it's been sweat on, and I do have all the logs in a box down there too. Mm-hmm. So when I get back and I write it, I'll write down how many miles I ran, what's the current streak, what's the current streak miles, and um, also the time of day I ran and the pace and and the course so that I can look at it again and see what was my four-mile course, what was my five-mile course. and So it's that's the detail I have in every single day you know, for 32 years. Other years... I had more detail depending on what the book was. I mean, yeah, the book might have said what's the. Oh, I always put the temperature in there too. And I got in the habit of some things, but I would put down who I ran with and yeah, maybe some of the sites or I saw six deer today or mm-hmm. things like that. So that's the routine. And once I stop sweating, and then I'll go take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> How many afternoon runs do you think you've done in this streak? I can't even count more than five I don't think in my head of thinking of maybe something travel wise in the morning cause you to run later in the afternoon or that 2008 trip to Australia and Hawaii where yeah. you had some odd times in the airport but it's always morning right do you remember more than even a 10 or a dozen afternoon runs or is it yeah at the beginning I wasn't such a morning person it's yeah this is why i don't like when people say i'm not a morning person i can't get up or i wasn't either i made myself a morning person because it was best for the family after we had kids Mm -hmm. so i bet you uh from before 1989 when we had our first child i did a lot of afternoon and, and evening runs okay but it was because i saw my wife had to do all the work and if I had to leave after I came home from teaching, that would be another hour or two because you take the time you have to shower and get ready and stretch and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, I've got to do that before she gets up, before the kids get up. So that's what it's about 1989 when I started running in the mornings. And since then, I've probably had about, I'd say, 50 to 100 days that I didn't run in the morning. Okay. Out of 11,000, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Now let's talk about climate and the benefits of morning running. And I'm thinking about our our places where we live. So Missouri, Michigan, now we're in Illinois. Not the most 
not the nicest weather in terms of winter time and summertime even in Missouri the dog days of summer where it's just brutal out there and you sweat a lot and you uh, sometimes have trouble with heat and I wanted to talk about how you dealt with those Missouri summers and then when we moved to Saginaw Michigan those winters are unpredictable and pretty brutal beautiful summers uh, but similar here in in Chicago area too with some unpredictable winter weather and usually nice summers but first talk about those Missouri blazing days in the summer how did you deal with that well Missouri that's another reason that I started running in the mornings too yeah is when I knew it was gonna be 100 degrees during the day with high humidity I'd run right when the sun rose which would be about 80 degrees in high humidity (laughs) so and if I was training for something like a marathon I probably wouldn't train during the summer I'd have I'd usually run a marathon in October or November and do about two months of training. So the hot weather would not normally be super long runs. Mm-hmm. But it was always morning when it was going to be a hot day, I know that. But sometimes I, I've dehydrated a lot. Yeah. So, like, I follow my running programs. If I'm training for a race, I follow it to a T. Yep. Like, if it's six miles today and I have a day off the next day, I don't switch my day off. I say, I'm getting through six miles. And that gets tough in those high humidity days. I remember just laying on a cold floor for a while after six to eight miles of running in the 80, 85 degrees and high humidity. So, and then when it would snow. Yeah. Like, uh, when we lived in Rockford, Illinois, I wrote to Rockford, Illinois City and said that they do a great job of removing the snow from the sidewalks right away. And they had a great trail, and they would remove it right away. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. So I let them know that. Um, Almost everywhere we've been, they've been really good about removing the snow. But some of the neighborhoods have been ice for two months straight, like in Mm -hmm. Saginaw. Oh, yeah. The ice never leaves. (laughs) Uh, So that gets challenging. The snow is a lot of fun to run in. It's quiet. It's actually probably easier on the knees and yep. everything, and it's just it's peaceful, and so I like all all the weather, the challenges they bring. And, yeah, yeah, it it makes you tougher mentally and prepares you for anything and everything when you live in the climates we did, and not just you know seventy to eighty and sun and yeah. not much precipitation or snowfall. Uh, yeah, it makes you tougher, and the mornings talk about like the beauty of running in the morning i know i've talked to you about it a lot just less cars on the road fresh morning air uh no matter what the season is really just having that morning peacefulness where there's not a lot of traffic you don't see many other runners maybe on the sidewalk maybe the morning walkers and people getting ready for work the morning commute but talk about the what you love about running in the morning I heard a radio broadcast once about the morning in a city is the best air quality hmm. because the you know, about six o'clock the rush hour is over six p.m. the night before and then about six a.m. it starts again so there's about twelve hours to clear the air so if I run at five thirty or six in the morning or seven it's pretty clear air yeah um, the greatest thing when you now that I run a trail with some deer on it is that you could see them usually at sunrise. Mm-hmm. They're they're pretty active out there. And you're not going to see that about 10 in the morning probably no. when a lot of other people are on the trail. So there's hardly any other people on a trail or in the roads 
Sunday morning is probably the best. Mm -hmm. That's too bad because people should be getting up for church, but (laughs) about six or seven in the morning, it's even in Chicago, there's hardly anybody on the roads. And that's when I usually do my longer runs, like a 10 mile run, I'll do it tomorrow. My dad never stops during his runs. He never takes a breather at traffic lights, intersections, nowhere. So if I'm heading south and west, I'm heading to a destination, like in a five-mile run, I'm heading to a destination I know is going to happen at the two-and-a-half-mile mark, and then I'll go back, but maybe not the same route. The route depends on the traffic. So instead of trying to cross North Avenue, a real heavy traffic, I'll keep going down North Avenue until I see an opening, and then then go across or cross at a, at a light that just turned green to, to the way that I want to go. So I've never, I've never stopped for does that, any does that, traffic. Does that ever alter the distance of your planned run? Like you have a course in mind when you go out the door. No, does that never has intersections ever. Sort of, even the busiest roads, if I go down like a half a mile, there's going to be a break within that half a mile yeah. or a mile of a, of a busy road. And, uh, you know, if it's stopped traffic there and then I'll, yeah, I know the other direction's stopped if the one direction's going so i can always cross that road when it's when it, when i need to have so. you been doing that the whole street too or was there like a traumatizing run where you were stuck at a busy intersection for like three no, minutes I, and you... I never remember being stuck in an intersection wow i never <laughs> i just keep running and I, I may have added some in a place i'm not familiar with i might have added you know tenths of miles because right. of traffic but i know i've never stopped In the next story, we had trouble pinpointing the year of the Chicago Marathon, but after the conversation, we confirmed it was the 2000 Chicago Marathon. Let's get into some of the wild stories of the streak. I remember, I mean, I was a small child, but Chicago Marathon, which year was it that you were in a medical tent post-race and mom was freaking out, couldn't get a hold of you, and you were dehydrated, IVs in you. What year was that? Remember that? What year that was? Maybe 2002 or 2001. It might have been the Chicago Marathon. I stopped running marathons shortly after that because I saw how much my wife was (laughs) just traumatized by it more than I think I was. In the medical tent where I was throwing up in front of my kids and everything like that, I had to have IVs put in me because of the dehydration. That's also where I started thinking, do I have to run the whole marathon? I used to force myself to run it, even through the worst feelings, but there's nothing wrong with walking a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. And so, that yeah, that was tough. I think the hardest dehydration I ever had was 1994, the weekend of O.J. Simpson's uh, famous yeah, on TV, the, 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 the car chase. Yeah. yeah, And I stayed up all night watching that in June of 94. And I knew the next day I was going to play an outdoor basketball uh, tournament about four hours away from St. Louis in Sterling, Illinois. And the forecast was the high 90s and 100 humid and, and humidity. So I played basketball for two days out there. And I ran my four miles in between on a track that was right by the basketball courts. And I was dehydrated. I had lost 15 pounds for that. And I also got hit hard in the head. I probably had a concussion. Um, the, and my face had swelled up where I got hit. And uh, I just felt like throwing up on the way home. And I did a number of times. So that next day, 
I, I was running a basketball camp in St. Louis, and I got back, and I had my two kids with me. Yep. James was one I of was them, here. and his oldest sister. And I got a hotel on the way down just to throw up for about three hours. And I knew I had to get home for this this camp. And so I got through the camp and everything, laying down on the floor and just giving directions to my players and what to do. <laughs> Actually, the whole week, I just kind of laid down and each day and while I was watching the camp go on because I just had no energy. But that night was the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Because my wife said... You're not going to run. And I had a streak. Let's say I was 1994, so my streak was almost nine years. years. It was June. August, it would have been nine years. And so at about 11.30 at night, we were across from a park, Carondelet Park in St. Louis, and I snuck out of the house. And we didn't have GPS then. Nope. And I knew the mile course, though, and I ran the mile, and it probably took me 10 or 12 minutes and back then I was running like 7 minutes or 7.30 for my workouts and I was just wobbling home I remember that and got back and she was waiting for me mom was up yeah (laughs) yeah caught red handed right after the run I couldn't eat anything or anything like that or drink I was throwing stuff up but had to get to camp the next day and get through that and I was feeling a little better so but that was my toughest smile I bet at least okay. stomach-wise and everything. Right. Now, I had to get my mom's take on that infamous June 1994 run, which my dad just called the toughest mile of his streak, at least from a stomach standpoint. So here's my mom, Linda Rogers, telling the story from her perspective. I definitely remember it. And as you're, as you're kind of going back in time, and you've been talking to dad about this, I've been reflecting that... He's at 33 years. We've been married 35 years. Mm-hmm. So all but two years of our married life, this has been a part of our lives. So I, I'm putting that in perspective because I'm, I'm also 33 years into this. And that time, that night, was back in the days when I used to worry about it. I don't think I worry about it too much anymore because it's just way off the charts as far as anybody doing it this long but back then yes because he had just done that um that three on three tournament Mm -hmm. he dehydrated he got hit in the head he had you and carrie in the car he was driving home he stopped somewhere and called me and said he was sick he had to stop i didn't have any idea where he was so all night long i didn't know where you guys were he gets home in time for camp, an hour before camp starts, basketball camp, which was always his pride and joy. Mm-hmm. So already that day, <laughs> I was kind of out of my mind with worry. I go up to the camp during the day. He's laying against the side of the wall. The whole side of his head is bruised. He looks like he's a scarecrow that's lost I don't know how many pounds. We couldn't get him to hold anything down, liquid or solid. And I was convinced that I had convinced him that this was it. This was ridiculous. That carrying on, I don't know where he was in his, what what would that have been? How many years at that point? Almost nine years. Almost nine years. That that was enough. He had children. You're ruining basketball side of it that you love. 
I was thoroughly convinced that he was not going to run. So I went to bed mm-hmm. and happened to wake up. I don't know. You thought like, you swayed him to yes, end it. I thought for sure that he realized how insane this was and went to bed. I don't know. I think I woke up about 1130 and he was not in bed. And I just thought, oh my gosh. Did you think he was running or did you think something? No, that's the first thing that popped into my head. When he wasn't there, I thought probably bleep, bleep, bleep. (laughs) (laughs) He went out and I got up and I looked. I thought maybe he had gone to check on you. I didn't really think that, but I went upstairs to check on you and Carrie. I went downstairs. He was nowhere. And so I just stood by the front door and... Sure enough, I don't remember what time, but it was right before midnight. He walks in the or he stumbles in the door. He had gone out and run a mile, and I. What did you say to him? I really don't recall. I think I gave him one of those wife looks, like you have just surpassed all insanity. You have just surpassed everything that is normal I think I just looked at him like I don't believe you just did Mm -hmm. that and maybe at that point that was the because there were other times when we had like plans with friends and he was going to go out for a run and he wouldn't come home on time and um one time Phelps's friends of ours we were set to do something, and all of a sudden, we look out the front and he front window, and he's laying on the front lawn. He had dehydrated and um, just fallen on the front lawn. I was used to it when I was pregnant with Carrie. Yeah. Um, through the summer months, he in St. Louis, hundred degrees and better, he would go on his twelve mile runs. I went for one of my prenatal checkups, and he came with me, and he dehydrated in the. Um, OB's office and they had to put him up in one of the examination chairs at the OB's office women that get their get their (laughs) examinations he was in one of their chairs and they were giving him juice and crackers when I was pregnant so I was used to things but I think that night of sneaking out and doing that run just was the turning point of okay I either I'm going to worry about this the rest of my life or I'm going to just going to say this is the way he is and maybe that was one of the turning points of acceptance of no matter what day no matter what illness no matter what injury no matter what child is being born no matter where we are in the world he's going to run I also asked my mom to recall the 2000 Chicago Marathon from her perspective, wife of Randy with three kids. Definitely the Chicago Marathon 2000 because we had other family members that were running it that were way behind him on the course. We had tracked him for most of the way. All three kids were there. His sister, his brother-in-law, nephew, I think maybe, was it two nephews or one nephew? Mm -hmm. Um, And then all of a sudden his brother-in-law came in and his nephew came in and there was no sign of him 
and we waited and we waited and I can tell you I waited with my my heart in my throat because mm -hmm. there we went to the missing persons tent which they right. had set up and at that time they were announcing that there was a gentleman that died on the course Jeez. and he had three children and they were trying to find his family so they the described it in that yes, way yes the most terrified probably that, that had to be it. going through that tent hearing that news um and they didn't have a number for this gentleman and they didn't have a name but they knew um they were looking for they wanted to be able to tell his family because they knew his wife and three kids were there Jeez. That was probably the most awful. And that's, I believe, I mean, we did obviously find him later, um, hooked up to IVs in mm -hmm. the medical tent, and he was trying to get to us. He knew that I was going to be frantic, and he was trying his best to get to us, but they wouldn't let him get up. Um, and I think that, too, was a deal maker. Then after that, I said, no more marathons. Right. No more marathons. That was this, 17 years ago. Yes. And how many has he run since then? I don't know. I know he cut back. He's run 13 total. <laughs> I remember Charlevoix 2014, you were hesitant and yes, but skeptical there was, about it. There was one St. Louis one in between mm -hmm. where I had all three of you with me and he ran it and he was puking his guts out at the end and you, all three of you were like... Oh, what's happening to dad? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always tried to make deals after the bad, after the bad ones. And he always made me feel like we had made a deal, but I guess we never really had made a deal. <laughs> never shook on it. <laughs> never shook on it. Never promised. I asked my dad if he remembers the ensuing week of running after that 2000 Chicago marathon. And then we talk about May, 2012, what happened to him during a church softball game. Do you remember at all, like, the next day, that run, or the next week, like, recovery from a marathon on top of yeah. that dehydration. I, dehydration with IV support? Was that just a mile a day then for yeah. a week after? Yeah, I know, I, I know I ran just a mile the next day just yeah. to get it done. I can't remember how long that went. But the, probably the toughest stretch of of miles was uh, when I tore my hamstring and yes that was 2012 2012 right? yeah in a church softball game where my you were at spike, shortstop I was playing shortstop and my spike got caught in the dirt I dove for a ball I got the guy out at second but I felt my <laughs> I felt my leg completely separate uh, my muscle and my leg and I said I gotta go out and it, it was uh, actually the last out of the inning and so I go there, I could walk stiff-legged, and these guys thought I was a wimp, and I said, I've got to go. I, I think I tore something. Mm -hmm. And so it swelled up and bruised. It, it bruised from yeah from my calf all the way up to my waist. Or to my, and uh, so I know it was torn. So I didn't go to the doctor because I know they would have said, don't run on mm -hmm. it. <laughs> yep. So the next day, I kind of ran and dragged my left leg and 14 15 minutes it took me to do the mile it was basically a you know step and shuffle step and step and shuffle and i probably did it i did that for three weeks just one mile i just prayed to god i hope i can run again someday regularly and 
It was amazing. Within like six months, I ran a race. Yeah. After that. I but, remember it was within a half year. But that really slowed me down, though. I, I never got to that pace I did before. Yeah. That torn hamstring. Yeah. I remember that bruise. It was vicious. Yeah. That kept swelling with each day. And yeah. we knew. But your mantra of not seeing the doctor because you know the advice is going to be stay off it for three months or so. And you, and, and what happened then? Do you have to explain about your streak? I didn't want anybody stopping me because one time I sprained my ankle and I couldn't even fit my foot in a in a shoe. And so I took the shoelaces out and I hobbled through that one. And three people stopped me within that mile and said, hey, can I help you? They thought I just sprained it. Yeah. And so I knew that would happen with the, the hamstring. And so with the torn hamstring, I would get up at 3 or 3.30 in the yeah, morning. Yeah, you got up earlier. Just so nobody would see me and nobody would feel sorry for me and... Yeah, I would just yell the whole time, every every step. I would just be ah, ah. I just remember that yelling that. that three probably, three thirty a.m. That probably happened for one and uh, a week or a week and a half, where it was so painful I had to yell every step for a mile. Yeah, and mom every day is wanting to treat it with pain reductions and ice, but yeah. you are pretty stubborn you refuse it <laughs> i don't say it's gonna i don't take pain pills or anything no you like don't that. i don't i don't like pills not even aspirin and uh so it's I, gonna be in god's gotta, healing and naturally yeah you just gotta tough it out and uh that's helped me a lot of situations i think i just i can get through a lot and i think running kind of is the fallback to help me get through everything just over two years after the hamstring injury Randy ran a marathon in Charlevoix, Michigan in 4 hours, 6 minutes, and 23 seconds at the age of 53. I remember talking to you 2014, it must have been, when I was doing early hooray run stuff. And we talked about that hamstring incident and then coming back. That was your first marathon after the hamstring and yeah, your last one. Right, that was the last one I've done. Yeah, re- yeah, recently. Mm-hmm. May not be my last one. I don't know. <laughs> Mom doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> but I just, uh, I walked, I, I walked and ran the last five miles of that or something. Okay. I was so surprised I can go because my hamstring started hurting and other past injuries, ankle. You feel everything yeah. in a marathon, especially when you hit fifty years old. So, yeah, that that was, it wasn't as tough as I thought it was going to be. But it was a, it felt good. It was a good accomplishment. Did a little over four hours there. How about the two thousand eight Australia trip? We you coached a, a basketball team for down under games. I played on the team, and so we had a lot of airport time, layovers, uh, international dateline, long thirteen hour flights. So that threw off the timing of the streak. But what did, did you go by local time and then? Yeah. I just remember eating dinner one night in an airport and looking up and seeing my dad run across. Yeah. I'm just like, head down, what is he doing? That was one of the days I had to run in the airport because we were in Sydney, Australia. And according to the schedule, we would have been up to the Gold Coast in time to run that day. But the flight was canceled. So we had to wait for another flight for another six or eight hours. But I had put running stuff in my suitcase or my carry-on just in case that happened because we didn't have our suitcases either. And I figure if I ran 15 minutes then, and uh, you know my pace back then was about eight and a half, nine minutes a mile. So I ran 15 in the airport. <laughs> and 
I, you were trying to get outside, right? I tried to get outside. I thought you were going to be outside, so then I saw you running across. It and, was pouring rain outside, okay. and plus security had just started being beefed up back then. Mm-hmm. And so I, they wouldn't let me outside. So I said, okay, I'll run around the airport. And it wasn't a huge airport area, so I had to run around the airport in Sydney probably about, I'd say about 12 laps to get 15 minutes in. And then I knew I had my mile in. Yeah. Fortunately, I had one of my childhood friends there, Christopher Wiesman, on yeah. the basketball team too, and he was aware of your streak. He knew all about it. So at least one other player understood what this 50-year-old man is doing running through the airport at that time. But all of our other teammates were, I think they asked me a few times, what's he What's he trying to do here? Is he, how long is he going to be running? And I just had to briefly explain the streak and what's on the line, and it, it needs to be done as... <laughs> As Because uh, I, I really thought you got outside at some point, so when I saw you running indoors, that's when I was kind of incredulous and just said, oh my gosh, my dad's running through the airport, <laughs> but he's got to do it. He has to do it. But the guy who organized the trip had us go to Hawaii first. Yeah. So, I would, so the dateline wouldn't change. I wouldn't lose a day. And uh, so, because Hawaii was closer in time frame to Australia, so we... It, we timed it that way. But then again, 2014, I went there and coached, and I did lose a day. So I ran in the Los Angeles airport. We were leaving at midnight. Is that an LAX? Yeah. And I ran on Eastern time there. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I can't remember what I Yeah, I had to run on, on Eastern time in LA mm-hmm. to get that next day in. That's what it was. Yeah. So it was after midnight in LA and it was like two in the morning or something in Detroit. We were living in Michigan at the time. So I, I ran on Detroit time at like two or three in the morning, but I was in LA. So I guess that could have been cheating, but I'll challenge anybody that challenges me on that. <laughs> My dad likes to incorporate track workouts into his training regimens. He'll admit that he's not the fastest 56-year-old on the planet, but these speed sessions are still commendable. He ran the Big Ten 10K in Chicago on July 23rd, and he had many track workouts leading up to that race. We talk about the accessibility he's had with tracks throughout his entire working career. You've always had convenience with tracks because you've been in the educational system your whole full-time career. Um, I remember... I mean, you were coaching girls basketball at Lutheran South in St. Louis and a guidance counselor, and then Saginaw up in Michigan, guidance counselor, boys varsity basketball coach, and now we're here in Chicago, Elmwood Park, River Forest area, your head men's basketball coach at Concordia University, Chicago, and each place there, you've had to acquaint with the running knowing the lay of the land, but also with these track workouts, your speed work, you've had the convenience of having a a track real close by and access to it. Did you do much of that in St. Louis too? I did the track workouts when I started getting slower. Okay. And so probably after age 45, I started doing the track workouts. um, So I remember that more in Saginaw and here. Yeah. I remember one time Saginaw had a surprise snow and I had to do 400s and it was like, calf deep on the on the track and so i brought up a shovel and i i did a quarter mile of 
of shoveling one lane out. And I remember the track coach, John Frank, afterwards, he said, somebody shoveled that snow. It was probably you off the track. I said, yeah, I did. He said, it's not good to shovel off an all-weather track. And he told me why. I never even realized that, that, yeah, the shovel should not be touching the track of an all-weather track. But I got my 400s in, though, before I got chastised. Yeah. Yeah. Randy's specific attire for his runs depends on the weather, so he always has a strong gauge on what Mother Nature will throw at him before heading out on a run. Here he explains his clothing approach, and he also recalls the coldest run of his life in Rockford, Illinois in January 1994. I have rules about what I wear, and... uh... Yeah, I've taken lessons from you, too, on if I see the temperature, humidity, wind chill, I, I ask, like, what would you do? And I know we've differed on our yeah. preferences, but you have your whole hierarchy of clothing for... Above for 32, I always wear shorts. And so if it if it's 50s, I'll wear a long sleeve. 40s, a long and a short. 30s, two long sleeves. 20s would be two long sleeves and a short. In the tens, it would be three long sleeves, which includes a hoodie over my head. And gets below zero, I'm definitely got the hoodie tightly over my head and wearing like five layers, <laughs> including uh, about three layers of socks too. So, I yeah, I do have rules for every ten degree increments, and and it's always been fine the only problem the worst I ever ran in was minus 30 in Rockford we were visiting the year after we moved out of there okay and uh, it got to minus 30 as a high for the day in January of 1994 Uh, so I ran a minimum of a mile on on the track there was no snow on the track and at the high school where I used to teach I came back my whole day my voice was really high it really (laughs) affected my voice the minus 30 just for like you sucked helium out of the balloon. Just for ten minutes, yeah, being out there. So that was, yeah. If I would have made myself run six miles or something, like, yeah, streak could have been over, and my life could have been over. <laughs> <laughs> Many a times when mom's been angered with you in some way with this streak, but you, she knows by now, uh, over thirty years of marriage. You, part of the daily life in a streak this long you gotta believe randy's running some beautiful places he shared some of his most memorable memorable for the good runs since 1985 any memorable runs in terms of setting or just feeling awesome or would love to go back and run there Um, not so much in terms of pain or uh, inclement weather yeah. Taking you back, but any just real memorable in a good way runs throughout this thirty plus years of running every day. Probably the most beautiful run was in Hawaii with the Pacific Ocean on the right, and then the volcanic mountains on the left. And there's a great path through there. That was neat. Yeah, it was high humidity though. I mean, the weather wasn't ideal, but the scenery was pretty amazing. Uh, running by state capitals in Illinois and Pennsylvania, you know, in Missouri, just I, I always like to run past historic areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's fun too. I think the best exhilarating run I've ever had was my first marathon because I was waiting to hit the wall and I never hit the wall and I just averaged six forty-five per mile, yeah. almost the whole way. 
I mean, I might have varied, gone down to 640 and up to 650 or 655, but I never changed too much, and I was just waiting for what people called the wall, and I never hit that. But I hit it like three marathons, two or three of the marathons later. <laughs> and now I know what the wall's all about. Yeah. <laughs> Will he hit 100,000 total miles in his streak? There's curiosity. So August 12th today, how many total miles? In the streak, uh, fifty so, some thousand. Yeah, it's, it's an average of four point eight four. Four point eight four. Yeah, and it's uh, fifty six thousand five hundred and eighty seven miles. So, some people say, "Hey, you're, you're going to hit a hundred thousand. To hit a hundred thousand, I need another thirty years, and I'm eight. I'm fifty six now. It's going to be eighty six. So maybe I'll hit a th- hundred thousand when I'm eighty. But I imagine my <laughs> mileage is going to go down." <laughs> Yeah, 100,000 is pretty tough. My dad gives advice to those considering starting a streak. It takes a supportive wife, a supportive family, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, It's also something a female probably can't do if they're going to have children. (laughs) You can't run when you're nine months pregnant like that, the day you give birth or anything like that. I'd like to see the longest female streak. Right. Um, Because there's some things you just can't run through, and it doesn't mean you're not tough. It's just some things that just happen. And I'm not saying I'm tougher than anybody or anything like that. It's just I've been fortunate to not have terrible health things or injury things where I, I can I can run through it. But I, I would think the best thing you could do to keep a running, get a running streak going is run in the morning because mm-hmm. there's always excuses. I remember you telling me that in 2014. you got to do it first thing or there's going to be some days you can't do it because things come up. You can't make excuses. You have to do it. I asked my dad to give a quick take on the Cleveland Indians. He grew up in Ohio. He's the biggest Cleveland sports fan I know. We love baseball, MLB action. He also talks about sports as an escape. Any Indians takes? They got to get in the playoffs. That's a, that's <laughs> another escape for me is just watching professional sport. Right. Even college sports. And coaching college is it's amazing to try to get your own team together for uh, Division three college, too. So there's you got to find your escape, and my escape is sports and running. Yeah, that's great. All right, thanks again for the time, and we might follow up here in the next couple of weeks. Finally, I express my appreciation for my dad's role in my running career. Then my mom shares what she's learned through these thirty plus years of the streak, and she just showers some love on her husband, my dad. I've learned a lot from you with my running and my high school and college running. I never thought up until my junior year of high school that I'd be running in college and that would be my main sport. Um, but it's definitely all the running's been inspired by you putting one foot in front of the other every morning. I think I've learned definitely patience and go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, every time we travel, and any time we traveled, all through the kid, all through your growing up years, we always had to find a place to run. And yeah. where I would be more like, oh my gosh, let's just get where we're going. We always had to plan around, is there a place to run? Is there a place to run? So I think I learned to mm, let go of timelines sometimes. Yeah. And be a lot more just um, whatever happens, happens. 
and that's a great lesson for me because I'm very, very, I want things planned out. I mm -hmm. want to know what's happening. And these 32, going on 33 years of running have um, taken me out of my comfort zone, probably in a good way. I have definitely a secret jealousy of him, yeah. of his ability to get in this mindset that he's just going to do it every day. The man n never sets an alarm. He has never once set an alarm to get up. He's worked our whole married life, but he gets up every morning before work to run. And I just am jealous of that single-mindedness. That that is... Nothing will get in my way of nothing this. Nothing will get in my way. I am not going to be Even just the ability swayed. to wake up without an alarm clock. Right. <laughs> it's a perk in and of right. itself of life. Just phenomenal. I think that a lesson to me because he's done it every day for so many years and I know that that's his prayer and devotion time also. Mm -hmm. His thinking time. Yeah. His here's where I get rid of um, maybe some bad stuff that's going on in my life I just let it out when I run but I know that he has used all of those runs to pray for people pray for us mm -hmm. pray for friends um, he's I love the fact that he has and he would hate to be to talk to he would hate that I'm talking like this but he has inspired so many people to run yeah his all of his children mm -hmm. runners um, people that he had on his basketball teams that get back to him now and say, now I see why you had us run all the time and now I'm a runner. And he has inspired through his, not through any words, but through his actions, generations now of people that are running because of him. Mm -hmm. That's a huge blessing. Um, and he does it all and he has no pride or boastfulness or look at me or you should be like me or do what I do. Um, so if there's a lesson learned, the lesson is those are the kind of people you are to follow. Not the big blustery braggart people of the world mm -hmm. but the guys that just go out and do it and you can look at their lives and say I'm going to do what they did Yeah, because you know that's just an amazing thing great stuff yeah great stuff he's a great man I probably should tell him that more thank you for listening to Hooray Run Podcast episode 8 I hope you enjoyed it Many thanks to my mom and dad, Randy and Linda Rogers, for jumping on board the podcast, sharing stories from their perspectives. I love you, mom and dad. Much appreciation for the time. Here's a bonus clip from one of the conversations with my mom. How many times have you said, Randy, you need to take this pill or let me give you ice or bring a water bottle wherever you go and drink, drink, drink. How many times have you tried to play doctor, too, in this? Yeah, I think early on, again, I was all for, you've got to wear identification. You've got to have some sort of 
water with you. You have to take an ibuprofen. You're that sore. Take an ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. I don't say any of that anymore. But I think back in the day, it's pretty regular. And even friends then through the years have also tried to get him to do that, have given him different things. Here's something you can wear that won't weigh you down, that you can keep an ID in. Or here's some water bottle that you can attach to your shorts and not be weighted down too much. I think we've all tried to look after him in that way. And it's, he is stubborn as the day is long and he knows what he's doing apparently because so far it's worked. Hooray Run Podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on the podcast app on your phone, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Find it, recommend it. Thanks again for the listens. Leave a review. Hooray Run on social media. Facebook page, Hooray Run. Hooray Run on Twitter, at Hooray underscore run. Check out HoorayRun.com. Thanks again to Mikey, a.k.a. Meeks Palmer on SoundCloud for the intro and outro beats. And thanks to Hopeful Utopian. My friend Matthias Mekis from high school. I love his music. He goes under the name Hopeful Utopian. Check it out. I used his song John Henry for this episode of Hooray Run Podcast. Hopeful Utopian. Thanks, Mikey. Thanks, Matthias. Email the podcast, podcast at hoorayrun.com. Episode 8. Don't hesitate to tell a friend about this podcast. 